This list sucks, this list sucks, this list sucks, this list sucks, it sucks. Welcome back to This List Sucks. I'm JB. I'm Mike. Happy Friday, guys. Happy Friday. And gals. We have a special guest this evening. Special guest. Coming in the uh, little bottom right-hand corner of the screen here. Bam. Did I have have theme music? That's your theme song. Or not. Shut up. This is Mr. Justin (laughs) Handel. Hi, Justin. Straight out of Brooklyn, New York. He is here joining us tonight. He's a good friend of, of mine, good friend of the podcast, fellow music nerd, and we thought he'd be a great candidate to have as our first guest for this podcast. So we're excited to see what he has to say about the records for this week. And uh, yeah, thanks for being here, Justin. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's quite an honor. Absolutely. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, first time caller. <laughs> I love the fact that you use the word honor and this list sucks the podcast. I mean, that just sounds ridiculous and funny and, yeah. and awesome. So. Seems like you're joking. Very <laughs> much. <laughs> yeah, well, we really do appreciate it. So thanks for being here. We're excited to see uh, how the night unfolds here. Mm-hmm. Um, we are getting back into, we're not going to jump right into it or anything, but just to, mm-hmm. just to let you know what's going on. We are getting back into the big list. We took a little break um, and did a couple bonus episodes. Yeah. We, we did an episode about the snubs. Um, that we, we talked feel about have some been left off the yeah. big list. Yeah, we did the snubs episode. We talked about a little wet ass pussy up in there too. Like yeah, that yep. was fun. The best of 2020. That was a good time. Um, Listen to that like four times in one week. But it's good to get back in the saddle, right? Yeah, it feels good to be back in the routine doing the big list. Yeah, yeah. The I big look, list I'm is a jam to it, definitely. So, so for those who don't know what the big list is, if you're listening for the first time. This is a podcast where we basically talk shit about lists, and we decided to start with Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time, and we've been breaking it up into groups of five, and we are at number 450 today, 450 through 446. Yep. So 10% of the way through, and so that's why we took a little break around the holidays and everything else, but now we're, uh, yeah, we're back in the saddle, and we're going to go through 450 through 450, or through 446 today, but before we jump into it, it is Friday. Yeah, New Music Friday. New Music Friday. What'd you find, dude? I didn't listen to anything at all, God, but I saw that fuck. you found something. I did um, find something. Yeah. I actually was I was really enjoying the the records for this week and even though I had already listened to each of them like three times this week, I listened to all of them again today. Literally all five of them. Except wow. for Bad Bunny. <laughs> I listened to the all four of them. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um well I was I was kind of out um I was doing my I listen, I if anybody doesn't know, just jump out onto Facebook and you'll see I wake up I wake up early and, and that's when I do my listening is first thing whenever I wake up after I take my dog out to take a dump. And so I came back and um, since it was New Music Friday and I had worked through everything, I went ahead and I checked out some of the releases from today and I did find, um, I found what I would consider to be a true gem of new music. Artists that I'd never heard of before and it wasn't, um, it wasn't her first release by any stretch of the imagination and um, it's Jasmine Sullivan. The name of her new album is, fuck, I'm going to butcher this, Hoxtails, H-E-A-U-X, Hotels. I love that you just realized that while you were spelling it. You're like, oh, wait, now I get it. <laughs> oh, now I get it. 
Yeah, yeah that's now, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, now it actually makes perfect sense too because it's <laughs> definitely a concept album featuring tales of hoes about hoes. Yeah, so it's hotels. Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. No, that it couldn't have been better if you I if know. you already knew it it would have been lame, but the <laughs> fact know. that you yeah. I know, but the fact that I literally came to this realization while it. I'm doing it. Because now when you read through the track list, it now it makes beautiful sense cuz track 2 is Antoinette's tale, Ari's tale, Donna's tale, it's a Rashida's bunch of hoes, tale. Man. It's just a bunch of hoe tales. Classic. Listen. This album is was... a whole subgenre really. <laughs> yeah. Wop. Ho hop. That subgenre. Ho hop. Doo wop R and B ho tales. I love it. But and you liked the record though? It's really good. I meant to so I saw that you posted that. Yeah. And I had really good intentions listening to it, but then I got lost listening to like the records for this week for like a fourth or fifth time. I and honestly now like now that I've made this realization about the album, I want to go back and listen to it again because it really is good. <laughs> um her voice is special though. I mean she's got She's got a really, really good voice. It's super compact too. It's only like a half hour. Yeah, it's literally a half hour um, LP. But wow, man, it's it's there. Like cool. R and B, R and B soul type music, but um, powerful voice. Good stuff. Yeah, good so stuff to check out. If you're listening, looking for something new, check out Hotels. <laughs> not spelled how it sounds. <laughs> not, not spelled anything <laughs> like it sounds, but yeah. but definitely about Hotels. Yeah. So, what else? Ah oh, man, I wish Should I had looked into week? new music at all. Talk about the the music for this week? No, or no, you mean music. like the just, just the world this week? I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention it. I yeah. mean, there's shit's going down. Just to timestamp this podcast, this is the week that uh, some true patriots stormed <laughs> stormed the Capitol. Oh my God, what a fucking shit show that w- was this week. It's almost weird. to it's almost weird to talk about because I've seen like a lot of the commentary that, that I was listening to, they were they, a lot of talking heads on TV. were talking about it. Like this was going to be one of those moments that you remember kind of like September 11th. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to be, but I, I guess it was not in the same way. And, and it's yeah. almost like an, an offensive to say it, like it, not that you said it, but that the, the, the talking heads on the news, like to equate that those kind of events, but it was, I guess, it was the first time that the 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 U.S. Capitol has been breached since the War of eighteen twelve. Thank you. So it's notable for that reason. Yeah, it's not. I don't yeah, think I it's. Mean, it, yeah, not as tragic as nine eleven, but it's it's a day that'll live in infamy. To borrow some words about Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, though. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I mean, you know, in light of in light of all the weirdness in the world. I'm like I'm really glad that we got this right. And even though it was technically in 2021, it still kind of feels like 20 part of 2020, you know. And I feel like when 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 because 2020 was really like a crazy fucking historical year, and yeah. it, it'll be in the history books. And I feel like this will probably be mentioned kind of as part of the whole shebang, you know? like a shitty epilogue to 2020. Kind of, yeah, yeah, a resurgence. Let's just pray that this wasn't 2021, saying. Oh, you thought 2020 was bad. Yeah. Hold my beer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 2020 part deux. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that's not what this is. This yeah. is supposed to be the start of the roaring twenties. I also saw, this, saw, this saw some like, Oh, I get it. It's like December 37th, well, 2020. <laughs> the, the roaring twenties started with at the end of a, another pandemic. Spanish. Yes. Oh yeah, exactly. Spanish flu. Yeah. 
So people were so very, we're, we are tracking very well to yeah. be in the Roaring Twenties. Yes, absolutely. we are tracking very well to have a shitty next decade. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though i did think of one other thing before we jump into the albums for this week because i because i think we can jump in because i, w- I definitely want to give enough time for justin to talk without just killing people's ears for hours on end yeah um but you did mention earlier this week that red rocks amphitheater out in morrison colorado has released their schedule for 2021 yes they put out a it's pretty extensive too and i think it's all kind of hinging on how things shake out in the first quarter of the year but it's an optimistic schedule it has it has shows beginning i think in late march i want to say um there's a couple late march and then it's pretty heavy pretty heavy throughout the summer um some acts i'd be excited about seeing for sure what were you saying, Justin? I was going to say, in Red Rocks, you can socially distance. Pretty it should easy. be pretty I mean, easy to do. Yeah. Sales, but you could definitely socially distance there. Yeah. I've never been. You've never been to Red Rocks? I've never been to Red Rocks. Yeah. Well, I, I sent Mike a message earlier, and I said we should go to Red Rocks this year, and I was going to send you the same Where message, did Justin. your message, JB. What did you say? Oh, it's coming to you. So it's, in, it's in the mail. Um, but <laughs> No, I was going to certainly get... JB, just to be clear for all the listeners out there, JB only corresponds with Justin because he lives in New York, even though they're dear friends, they only correspond through written letter. Yeah, mostly like via Pony Express. <laughs> but uh, but no, I was definitely going to ask you too, but I, I've been getting really into this band King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard in the last couple of years, and they're playing a couple dates mm-hmm. at Red Rocks this year. So Marathon. Here's the official too. invitation, Justin. We should go. To Red Rocks to see King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. All right. Except you don't have to commit right now. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) I did. um, I was shocked, though, that they have shows scheduled as early as April. I know. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's a ballsy move. And it's optimistic. Yeah. Well, and some um, I can't remember who it was that I was talking to. And somebody said, no dummy the only reason why those dates are scheduled is just because they were rescheduled dates from 2020 i don't think all of them were that though i'm I'm with you i don't feel like all of them were that either and the reason that makes me think that is if you look through the list several of them have in parentheses rescheduled from 2020 and several don't and several don't. like that Um, seems like pretty clear cut that that those words were like all the wedding reservations, you know, like people that were going to have weddings in 2020, that time slots in 2021 are already taken. And there were only so many that could be replaced with the delayed 2020 shows. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't just boot everybody from 2021 that was already booked. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, and honestly, Colorado, the more I think about it, seems like not the best place because that was one of the three states mm-hmm. that was first to get the B117 variant. The Yeah. That's the British one, right? Somewhere. Someone will have to check me on this, but it's like, it's, you know, some percentage between like 25 and 50 percent more contagious than yeah what's been going around yeah but not more deadly is the is the good news as no. far as i understand it at least supposedly yeah supposedly it's not more deadly and supposedly the um the approved vaccines that are out there are equally as effective against this new variant as they are against the og correct so yeah so everybody get vaccinated yeah even if we you are pro it, vaccine you. on the podcast. Yeah, we are pro vaccine. My sister got vaccinated like yesterday because she's wow, holy shit! And proud to report, she is still standing. Way to awesome. go, Bree! Alive and probably more alive than the rest of us. Has I, she got an X-ray for the microchip? 
not yet. I think that that's well, part of it is obviously like when she asks for that, they're probably going to, you know, say, well, there's a shortage of x ray machines. Yeah. <laughs> More than is likely. Yeah. Just like ventilators, we don't have them. Yeah. Don't have them. Anyways, let's get into it. Let's get into the list before, before we talk all night. Let's jump. So, like I said, picking up on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time, number 450. We have some excited entries tonight. Number 450 is Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram from 1971. Rolling Stones describes it as, In its day, Paul McCartney's second post-Beatles album was widely disliked. John Lennon dismissed it as Muzak, spelled M-U-Z-A-K. And Ringo Starr said the lack of good songs made him sad. In retrospect, it's a modest, goofy, loose-limbed outing about domestic pleasures full of eccentric pastoral tunes like Heart of the Country and Monkberry Moon Delight. The loopy pastiche of whimsical song fragments Uncle Albert slash Admiral Halsey became Paul's first post-Beatles number one hit. I was in a very free mood, he said. What did you think of this? This was definitely my first listen on this one. Um, Me too. I had never really seeked out much of much of Paul's solo stuff. I mean, I knew the obvious shit. Like, you know, there's, there's songs everybody knows, but that, that was that was post-Beatles from Paul McCartney. But this one was, was a first listen for me. It was kind of hard to get, like, to, I didn't, not hard to get through, but I didn't fall in love with it right away. It was kind of hard for me to really, really enjoy it, but I came around on it a little bit over the couple days, but I don't want to talk the whole time. What did you guys think? Listen, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy it right away? Um, again, listen, I'm just like you. I'd never heard the sound before, right? It was my first listen as well, and I probably went through... The whole album three times and then, you know, bits and pieces of the album a couple other times as well. And on the first listen, I was okay, I was okay with it. Um, nothing stood out to me necessarily, yeah. but I didn't hate it from the jump. Well, Justin, what no, did I you didn't think? hate it. You know, I first listen, same thing. First time I heard it, I loved it. Second listen, like kind of lost some of the shine. And then I think this is the only album I actually listened to three times other mm. than Alice Coltrane's, which we'll get to. Yeah. But um, I, I unfortunately started to agree with John Lennon's assessment after I Googled what the technical definition of Muzak is. <laughs> it's just like basically it's just like just like music that is like nondescript. It just it belongs in the background and it's not meant to be like it's it has no observable quality, I guess. Interesting. And unfortunately, that's kind of where I ended up. Like, I still do like it, but it's just like, it's just generic Paul McCartney music. When you think of like a Paul McCartney-esque Beatles song, this is a watered down version of it. Okay. And that's kind of exactly how I felt. Very negative, but I actually did like it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of exactly how I felt. I felt like, like you just pretty much said it, watered down Beatles. It seemed to me like, like if another band was trying to write us write music that sounded just like some of the quirkier Beatles stuff. It would have this, that this could have been what was produced, you know, my, my, my biggest complaint. And at the same time, accolade for this album is that it made me, um, it made me really appreciate how the Beatles were able to take three amazing songwriters and blend all of their talents to create something utterly magnificent yeah and at the and same, truly unique and, and super unique and at the same time i listened to this and i felt like 
these songs were missing what Lennon and Harrison would have brought to them. Yeah. Does I think I wrote sense? something down. I wrote like, you know, like on paper, it seems like a good song, but it just, something is missing. And it, like, you can't put your finger on what it is. I mean, that being said, there's some really good tunes on the record. Yeah. And th- there are some that I really started to enjoy. Like, I think that the opening track is, is really fantastic. Um, the, the outro. The too many people. Yeah. The outro to too many people. The basic- of the diss track. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And, and because that was pretty much a, a slight to the to the other Beatles members, right? It's how some people yeah. interpreted it, at least. Yeah, I can't remember which came out first. I think I, know, I think John Lennon also had like a little diss track digging at Paul. He had a couple. Like, yeah, yeah. It seems more like it was like the group against Paul, but you know, Paul I guess had some fine grievances of his own against the others, but. But I, I do agree with the points you're making about how like this album really highlights how special the Beatles were, where you have three guys out of that band. And I hate to exclude Ringo because he, you know, Ringo's great. Everybody loves Ringo. Sure. But, you know, <laughs> John, Paul and George all had these great solo albums, well, varying degrees of great. And, you know, obviously there's pros and cons to the album we're talking about now, but you really see just how great the Beatles were that you took three guys that all were successful. But when you combine them, they like transcended any individual talent that's ever been. Yeah, definitely. Um, and despite Ringo's um, lack of contribution, <laughs> not lack of contribution, <laughs> but he had some strong words to say about about Ram, and he said that it made him sad. And he said that there was he doesn't think there's one very there's one good single good song on the record is what he is what he said. That's a quote, not exactly how I said it, but <laughs> what? Um, oh, go ahead, Justin. I was just I think Ringo's probably still pissed off about that like hilarious quote where. It was like someone, it was like John or Paul describing it as like, John, you know, like I'm the heart, like Paul's the head, like George is the soul, and Ringo's the drummer. The drummer. <laughs> I haven't heard that quote before. I love it though. Yeah. There's even another one too that's like, someone asked one of them, like, hey, is Ringo the best drummer in the world? And they're like, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, who was the other guy? Pete, Pete, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? The fifth Beatle? The fifth Beatle. Yeah. yeah the guy that Whenever I read about the Beatles, um, like the, the arguments between the members of the Beatles, I just can't help but think about the the movie Walk the Line. You guys ever mm-hmm. watched that movie? And there's like the extended version deleted scene where and it has Jack Black pay, playing uh playing Paul or playing Paul McCartney, and I think it's Paul Rudd playing John Lennon. <laughs> and they just they're just so funny. <laughs> like someone was like, Who decided this? And and Jack Black playing Paul McCartney was like me. I'm Paul McCartney, the leader of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> he just has to make it very clear that he, I'm the leader of the Beatles. <laughs> um, did you guys hear Eleanor Rigby on this album? There was one song, yes, and I'm trying to remember which one that was. Was it Dear Boy? Yes. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. I mean, it's yep. just Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, right? <laughs> definitely. Uh, too many people, just not to go back to that, but um, I do want to bring it up because... Paul's like uh, Paul's falsetto thing that he does. I think at times it really works for me, and at times it doesn't. Like so, on too many people, his like falsetto style that he was doing almost reminded me of "Baby You're a Rich Man," the Beatles yeah. tune, which I love that like brand of falsetto. But then when you get into like "Heart of the Country," it's a kind of a good song, but his voice just kind of annoyed me on that one. I hate to say, and he was doing this a similar kind of falsetto thing, but but it was just different in some way. The scatting that he did on there. Yeah, I mean, it was, fuck off. Little cringy, <laughs> little cringy. 
I'll tell you what's I'll tell you what's more than a little cringy, and I don't listen. Rest in peace, Linda McCartney. But, geez, man, her voice. You're talking is, about long haired lady. I'm no? talking about every time Linda McCartney <laughs> appeared on this record. Uh, like, okay, <laughs> I just I couldn't, dude. I could not do her voice. So you know, the, I couldn't do. Linda I totally McCartney. hear you, because uh, especially on long haired lady, her voice was a little. I don't know. It sounded almost like schoolgirlish, but I think she was like intending to go for that sound. But on Eat at Home, the, so on Eat at Home was kind of unique in that they actually just kind of sang some harmonies. Like it, it was almost like it was just Paul and Linda singing harmonies on the verses, and that worked for me. Uh, uh, mo- the rest of the album like was either Linda doing background or like call and response stuff. Yeah. But on Eat at Home, which is kind of a '60s Rocky tune, mm-hmm. they did. They actually just sang harmonies, and for me, that worked a lot. I couldn't. Well, we were talking about the other contemporary post-Beatles albums, and the one thing I thought was funny is you have Paul and Linda, you have John and Yoko, you got George and uh, like the, the Hari Krishnas. Like They were all <laughs> clinging to like someone or something else to define their identity yeah. following yeah. the Beatles. It's good you brought that up, though, because that's another point I wanted to make was just I mean, compared to this record, there was some other music being made by the other ex-Beatles in this in this same time period that, for me, just outshines this record. Yeah. Like, Imagine, John Lennon's Imagine, was released in this same year, 1971. Uh, George Harrison's My Sweet Lord was released in November of 1970, so just before this year. And both of those releases I dig way more. Yeah. Well, in All Things Must Pass by George surpassed i think critically and commercially any of those first albums post beatles by those three which i think i think was just because people were hungry for more like george music because they kept his songwriting to like he had like a two song quota per yeah. album yeah and then when he was able to release a full body of work people were very receptive of it whereas i think when you hear it imagine when you hear you know this this album ram it's like yeah that's a john song that's a paul song yeah but george songs there weren't enough george songs you know it wasn't a saturated market no and i think there was also so much hunger out there too because the george songs that did make it on those beatles lps i mean obviously they were the cream of the crop because you could only have a couple of songs on each record but the songs that did appear from george were just yeah they were magic those are some of my favorite beatles tracks while my guitar gently weeps yeah i mean there's the whole joke about like george saying he wrote a song and john and paul are like oh we're gonna put this on the fridge with a with a magnet <laughs> you know <laughs> listen if if i if i was going to tell somebody to listen to one song i'd probably do the eleanor rigby ripoff I'd, dear really? boy was probably the song that stood out to me more than anything on this album what about you i like the sorry go ahead justin what was the hey jude ripoff did you guys catch that one there was oh another yeah one that ended in like long chant so that was uh that was long-haired lady i think yeah, that was Long Haired Lady. Yeah. Um, with the yeah, crowd vocal kind of sing along thing at the end. Very yeah. And that's another complaint I had was it just sounds like he's trying too hard to sound like to sound like the Beatles. And it's like you're you're not the Beatles w- when you're by yourself, you know? Yeah. Um I like the the medley, the Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey. I kinda that uh, with the little trumpet. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And actually, it's funny because I made a note on here that I loved the layers. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of layers in that song. And I made a note that this was actually a good wall of sound. Yeah. Yeah. It, so that was the, thought, that's the other thing that... Sorry, go ahead, Justin. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you guys. First podcast. Oh, first that's podcast. okay. That's okay. 
<laughs> well, so Phil Spector didn't produce this album. So he produced for Paul or not Paul. He produced for John and George yeah. after the Beatles, but he did not produce this album. And what I think one of the reviews I was reading about this, it actually criticized, you know, that kind of wall of sound and very layered approach. Mm-hmm. Like it was done in almost too clumsy a fashion on this album was the opinion of one of the critics, but like apparently like just the production quality wasn't the same as when Phil Spector's in charge. I don't like Phil Spector. We don't, we don't like Phil Spector <laughs> on the, no on this pod. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a murderer. All. So that's the one thing that this, that he, that Paul has going for him is that he, he does not like Phil Spector either. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's admirable. Fuck Justin, Phil Spector. What about you? What, like what were your standout tracks? What'd you like the best? For me, I think it was Long Haired Lady because actually I did like the Hey Jude ripoff. Yeah, like, you know, it's hard not to like. A gimmick and it works. Like, yeah, yeah. Fine for me. Yeah, and um, so I'm going to the track list here, but I, I agreed that too many people like right off the bat didn't know it was a diss track on the first or second listen. Then I read more about it, and then I heard it the third time, and I was kind of like bummed about it. And I was just like, this is just about like you know the acrimony following the breakup of like the greatest band of all time. Oh, I'm sorry. The second greatest band of all time. Um, but, you know, it was kind Bad of sad bunny. at that point. But that, I'd say those are my two top ones. It was Long-Haired Lady and Too Many People. Nice. Yeah. Actually, I also liked the uh, Ram on Reprise. I, lo- I love an album with a reprise. I, thank you. Thank you because yeah. I fucking love reprises too. And and Ram on to me wasn't a bad track. No, and it's kind of a cool little motif. Yeah. And the, it's very simple. It's, it's, you know, yeah, very simple chord progression. Um, what I liked about it when, when that first came on, I was like, this is just like a weak attempt to tie the record together, you know, <laughs> but then I liked how they changed the end of the Ram on and it kind of turned into more of a rocker. Yeah. And, uh, so I ended up liking it. But. Yeah. I, for me though, um, I'm going to boot this. I'm not, I'm not keeping this really. Yeah. I'm not so yeah, it. Justin, I'm, I'm sure you're aware. Usually at the end of each, uh, each album we go through and we, we decide what level it is for us, whether we're going to buy it on vinyl or whether we're going to add it to our digital library and if we think it belongs on the list or not. So for me, I would get it on vinyl just Ooh. because it's, it's a cool piece of history, wow. you know, cause I'm a collector. So, but I'm yeah. not going to, but I didn't add it, did not add it to my digital library. I'm waiting for you to go. They're my hoes. Yeah, that's right. I keep them, you know, H E A U X. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well done. But, uh, I'm okay with the beat on the list. Because another thing I, I meant to mention is apparently this is like seen as a predecessor of indie pop, this album. It's yeah. widely considered to be like one of the first indie pop records. And just for the influence that it had, because we're going to talk about this a little bit later because I'm going to bring it up again, but there's two reasons for albums to be on this list. Or may, maybe more than two, but the two big ones are influence or content. You know, And for me, this one had a lot of influence. And I think... It, I mean, it's a special piece of history, so I'm okay with it being on the list, especially in the 400s. You know, do you move it up or down, or you or you like where it's at? No, I think it's in a good spot. Okay. If anything, down a little bit, but I mean, there's not much room to go down. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Justin? What do you got? Well, for a purely original take, I gotta say it's for me. It's about the same. Um, <laughs> I would get this on final because I, I have a similar approach as JB. I, I would like. I just like the idea of the collection. You know, I want the Beatles records. I want the Paul records, the John records, the George records. Um, probably not in the digital library and I do like the spot and I think it belongs on the list. Um, and I think if we all just kind of have to look past the fact that it came out post Beatles, like so 
quickly after the Beatles dissolved. Mm -hmm. And then like, if you can separate it from the Beatles catalog, then you can kind of appreciate them a little differently. Like if I pretend I never heard a Beatles song, which is impossible, I could see how like, yeah, this belongs on the list. This is good music. This is clever songwriting, like quality production value. A lot of fun as well. Like you, you could tell he's having fun. Like he was, he felt free and that came through. So I like the record. I think it is an influential record. And if you remove it from the Beatles catalog, awesome record. I like that perspective. I do too. Um, side note, before we move on, I, I just had to mention this. We don't have to talk about this, but I hate Monkberry Moon Delight. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she told me that too. Like that was playing and she like came into my, my office, which is all dual purpose as a closet. <laughs> Brooklyn. But, uh, yeah. And she was like, what, what are they saying? Is that Monkberry Moon <laughs> Yep. Like, yeah, that's the name of the song. She's like, okay. <laughs> what did friend of the show Rex have to say about it? Oh yeah, let's bring up Rex, avid listener, avid friend of the show. Yeah. I don't know if avid was the right word for that second. No, no. But, listen, uh, I think that's <laughs> it's repetitive but solid. <laughs> okay, let's read what Rex had to say. Yeah. So Rex said, "Beautiful classic McCartney sound. You can hear the influence of Rubber Soul on this album. I'm just a sucker for McCartney, anyways." This dude could read the phone book and I'd listen. I like that. <laughs> the more I listen to this album, it grows on me. Beautiful guitar work and arrangement. The timing of reviewing this album is kismet with him releasing a new album last week. Mm. I dig this album. It's fun, lively, and a great record to put on while you get lost driving through the mountains. Aww. Did he use the word kismet? He, he sure did. did, dude. Dude. I don't know you, Rex, but I want to. Yeah. <laughs> We can make that happen. We can uh, All right. set that up. So listen, just to be clear, we're uh, we're a little ways into the show, and Mike's the asshole. It's okay. Yeah. I'm used to that position. About what? Why are you the I asshole? Don't know. I just feel like a dick for wanting to boot Paul McCartney's no, you're not an asshole at all. No. solo album off the fucking list. No, it's his second solo album. Oh, so, it's his second <laughs> <laughs> But um, I don't blame you at all, and I'm not... It's like I don't feel super strongly about keeping it on the list. I'm just comfortable with it. So okay. I'm not like in disagreement necessarily. That's fair. Um, I'm not going to storm the Capitol because you yeah. <laughs> all right listen let's talk uh, about let's, something let's that i think on. we're all gonna love yeah 449 released in 2003 the white stripes the album elephant rolling stone says the stripes exploded out of detroit with a minimalist garage blues attack just jack white on guitar and meg white on drums taking on the world these kids insisted they were a brother and sister even after people learned they were secretly a divorced couple but against all odds, the low-budget duo became a global sensation for their sheer rock power. Elephant seethes with raw desperation and lust in Seven Nation Army, hypnotized and the hardest button to button. Jack plays guitar hero in the seven-minute jam, Ball and Biscuit. What'd y'all think? Yeah, so this is actually one of the reasons why I thought Justin was a great candidate to be the first guest on our podcast here. Because me and Justin grew up together. Um, and Justin's a giant fan of the White Stripes, and so so am I. But that was a definitely a similar interest we had. So, what what do you think about this record, Justin? Let's have you start this one off. So, yeah, I was really happy to see this on the list. Um, you know, I'll I'll just get right to it. This is way too low on yeah, the list. I hear just, you. just the fact that Seven Nation Army on this album, like that song, has transcended just genre. Like it just like the that bass line, or it's really just a, it's a guitar line using an octave yep. pedal, but um, 
that alone like is one of the greatest riffs of all time i don't know how anybody could argue against that and just that alone makes it it deserves to be out of the 400s and somewhere just i, I don't want to get too specific but it's it's better than the 400s just yeah just to play off of that i'm gonna let you continue but it just like it's incredible the the like the uh, the iconic level that that riff has reached like that riff is this record came out in 2003 mm-hmm. and that riff is up there with like smoke on the water sunshine of your love as like one of the most popular guitar riffs of all time. I'm a guitar teacher and that's like (laughs) one of the highest requested riffs to learn ever. And like, I mean, it's like the same level of, of iconic as like as fucking smoke on the water, you know? No, I actually think that it's transcended smoke on the water because seven nation army is a song that you go to a live sporting event and they don't even play it on the PA. The crowd just starts singing it. Yeah. Yeah. And most of these people have never heard another White Stripes song. <laughs> that's, that's right. And and maybe 50% of those people, if you ask them, do you, can you name me this song? They say, well, yeah, it's just a song that we sing whenever the Steelers yeah. score a touchdown. Exactly. Yeah. You know. But sorry, I'm going to let you finish, Justin. I feel like Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are far more, more stable than Kanye West. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's my plea that I would make just generally. I feel like people would agree with that, hopefully. But, I mean, that's not my favorite song on the record. I mean, not by a long shot. Yeah. My favorite song on the record is Ball and Biscuit. Yep. It is, I mean, for me, that's a top 10 song of all time, personally. Like, I, it's one of my favorite mm. songs. And I love it mainly because it kind of accentuates one of my favorite features of Jack White, which is this fidelity to real, like, the blues roots of american music yeah while also being like really progressive about his approach to playing it yes and so i think it's a great fusion of that and yeah that i mean that to me make, is what makes jack white so great like he's not i mean technically comparing him to other guitar players he's not really he doesn't have all the chops you know like i you know he's not trey anastasio he's not jerry garcia he's not al Dimiola, but he's got this this approach to it that I think is so it's original, but at the same time, like so traditional and he's got the attitude. Yeah. And it's the attitude too. Yeah. Um, so absolutely just, to, the attitude. just to be clear, cause I think that we can find consensus here. If we all told anybody listening, if you're only going to listen to one song on elephant, you're going to do it's ball and biscuit, right? yeah i mean that's the song for me like if i like if if i if you could only listen to one song on this record i would say ball and biscuit and ball and biscuit to me it's weird because i don't ever think about um you know justin you mentioned it was a top 10 song for you i almost never do that because i i rarely think about individual songs for me i i tend to think in terms of albums not necessarily songs but ball and biscuit's a song that if i was trapped on a desert island and i could only have a handful of songs and it's one that I, I'd like. You wouldn't be upset about it. Being no, I would, yeah. I would shortlist it. I would shortlist it because yeah. my favorite thing that I wrote about Ball and Biscuit, which I've listened to a, a thousand times, right? This whole album I've listened to a bunch. Yeah. But <laughs> filthy blues rocker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is filthy. Just, filthy is a good word for it's it. It's just filthy. It's just, yeah. yeah. Down, yeah. It down low, dirty. Um, just like you said, Justin, like connecting to the roots and stuff. I mean, blues can get boring. Let's be honest; it really can. I mean, and I respect the blues, but and but I, and I I like the blues, but it can definitely get boring. 
the White Stripes brand of blues never gets boring to me. I love the way that they're playing blues a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. they make it feel contemporary. They make it feel relevant, you know? Whereas you'd be hard-pressed to find too many relevant blues artists in popular music. I mean, Gary Clark Jr., I guess, but yeah, who else, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I put down, like, I think Bomb Bisque is one of the greatest contemporary blues recordings that we have. And a fun fact about it I read is it's the only 21st century song that Bob Dylan has ever covered. I didn't know he covered that. That's cool. I want to hear that. Hmm, I do too. Yeah, it was from bobdylan.org.uk. And I'm sure that's a super reputable source, but I liked the information <laughs> that I read, so I didn't bother going any further. I was like, good enough. I love it. It's a good little fun fact. Sometimes I do that. If I just read something, I'm like, this probably isn't true, but I'm going with it. <laughs> It's my narrative. Yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> so interesting tidbit on this album. Just kidding. Um, Jack White. So I was reading up on this, and when they recorded this record, they the most contemporary piece of equipment used in recording this record was the actual board that they plugged into, and that board was made in 1963. Oh, wow. So they just did tape. Every listen, everything. Yeah. So all of the microphones, all of the amplifiers, all of the every piece of recording equipment that was used, yeah, was built before 1963. Well, that's I mean, yeah, you and could argue Jack. that that's you, total Jack. White. That's big time yeah. Jack. Yeah, like that's yeah. Jack White. Because if you think about what he's doing in Third Man down in Nashville, like people are going down there, they're jumping into recording booths that are vintage from the 20s yeah. and 30s. And they're cutting vinyl on just this super old analog classic shit. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly just what you said. That's totally Jack. Like, there, there's a movie that I can't remember what it's called. Justin, you probably it know. Yes. Yeah, it might get loud. Thank and you. the opening scene is like Jack in the middle of a fucking cow pasture <laughs> building a guitar out of a stick that he found <laughs> or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's a board, two nails, a string, like a wire string, a pickup. And he like uses a slide and it like makes like a one string slide instrument <laughs> yeah. out of yeah, or two nails in a string. With the recording thing though, I mean it's interesting because I mean you definitely like like the the, the actual recording process has, has advanced. Like the boards are more complex and m- most of the time they're using, you know, digital software. Yeah. But other than that, you could argue that like the amps and the microphones and stuff haven't like made necessarily leaps and bounds and that in fact people tend to prefer the older stuff a lot of the time. So, yes. um, especially just, with guitar players, right? Yeah. Guitar but, players and amps in particular, but just the fact that he recorded it on a board from the 1960s and he didn't use a computer, I assume. No, I mean, that's, that's mind blowing. Yeah. Especially with his the quality guitar, that this is. at. Have you heard about his guitar that he used? Like, it's like this plastic, like, I don't know what department's over. It's like a plastic Kmart guitar. Yes, I have heard about that. I've heard about that too. Yeah, he has a few, but he also plays uh, like airliners quite a bit, I think. Um, That being said, I mean, so, well, there's another song that I really love on this record that I want to mention and that I used to perform a lot. And maybe me and Justin actually used to play in a band together. Did we ever play this? uh, Did we play You Got Her in In Your Pocket? Mm. No, I think that that's a solo acoustic one that you do. I don't think we ever did that. Okay, yeah, I love that fucking song. That's such a sweet. That, that's one of my highlights on this record. Do you know that one, Mike? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of you, JB, when I heard it, and that was you know, love you to death, like a brother. But for some reason, I thought of you when I heard it, and I was like, this is weird. 
<laughs> I don't mind it. <laughs> uh, but uh, also, so I do want to say, this is not my favorite White Stripes record. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask yeah. next. Yeah. And that's and that's what I wanted to ask Justin, too, because I know that Justin is a White Stripes fan. So not your favorite White Stripes album. For me, I mean, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I it's one of my favorites, and I probably prefer it to this, is Get Behind Me, Satan, the one that came out immediately after this. Mm. This one's my favorite. This one's your favorite? Yeah. This one's super aggressive and like uh, almost punk rocky throughout a lot of it. Really, really distorted guitar heavy and those aren't bad things or anything but i kind of like the direction that that he took his music and get behind me satan which was a little more melody based and heavy with the piano mm-hmm. and uh and he, he kind of hinted at that at that sound like there was a couple tunes i'm trying to think of um like i want to be the boy to warm your mother's heart to me that <laughs> song fits right in on get behind me satan yep and like it's almost like like uh, the, a premonition of things to come. I don't know. What do you think, Justin? Do, do you prefer Get Behind Me Satan or this one? Or do you have a one you like so, more? That's a really tough question to like, if I were to pick. So for me, it's like, it's between this album, Elephant, The Steel, and Get Behind Me Satan. And I want to say, ask me tomorrow, I'll tell you a different answer. But I want to say The Steel is my favorite White Stripes album. And that one, I think what's going to put it over the top is it has death letter is I think the last track on side a. Yeah. And that more so than ball and biscuit, even like it's not as long of a, like a jam, like blues jam kind of deal, but it's got, it's a little bit more of that Delta blues style. Like it's a sun house cover. And I just, I love that song so much. And to me, that's even though it's not an original Jack white song. Yeah. um, A rare cover. Yeah, a rare cover. I think it speaks more so to like what kind of drives him in music, and I appreciate that. But also, I just love the song so much. So yeah. I'm gonna, today. I'm going to say to steal tomorrow, probably something else. <laughs> there is a cover on this record. You guys know which one that is? Is it Cold Cold Night? I don't think so. No. I just don't it? know what to do with myself. Is a cover? Is it really? Yeah. Really? Who wrote that? I'm pretty sure it I is. Wouldn't. I'm going to look it up right now because maybe I'm just lying. Listen, I love In the Cold, Cold Night. Um, yeah, it is. It's a Burt Bacharach song. Yeah, yeah. Thanks Bert for looking that Baccarat. up. Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have told me that 10 years ago to slap you silly? <laughs> but I just want to say. Burt Bacharach. Right, yeah. I, it's incredible what Jack White does with so few chords. I mean, because yeah. Jack White uses like fucking five chords ever. You know, mm-hmm. like in every song he's ever written, and somehow he manages to like get more out of these chords than what most people get out of of way more way more of a palette of chords. And specifically, he uses like three chords, and he uses five sometimes, but then he really uses these three, which are like for the music nerds out there, he uses the root chord, and he uses the minor three chord, and he uses the flat seven chord, and they're all major all the time. Like never does he ever play like. A, You've got her in your pocket. He plays an A minor chord, and that's like the only minor chord Jack White knows how to play. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's either major chords or power chords. Um, I do listen. I do want to throw a shout out to White Blood Cells because one of my favorite White Stripes songs, maybe ever, is "We're Gonna Be Friends." Um, yeah, it's so not White Stripes, but it to me, it's just um, I don't know. I love it. 
Love I like it, it too. It. Yeah. Um, and it also has, um, what is it? Dead leaves and dirty ground is. Oh also yeah. On White Dead Blood Cells. leaves and the dirty ground. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that song's a fucking jam. So th- let me ask you this though. Uh, uh, both of you, is this the only white stripes album that we get on this list? And I'm, and I'm only asking that because if you think about, again, going back to seven nation army. Yes. So that's the how argument. How prolific that song is. Is this the only one that we get? So if you asked me that, and I didn't, in Seven Nation Army wasn't, or if you just asked me that, I would have thought that Get Behind Me, Get, Get Behind Me Satan would be on the list too. And I would think it'd be higher. But the fact that Seven Nation Army is on this record, I think pretty much precludes all the other records. Like I think yeah, that that's how I feel too. If, if Seven Nation Army is on this record and it's it's here, then that's all we're getting from White Stripes. Yeah. Just because of the influence and the iconic level of Seven Nation Army. Yeah. What do you think, Justin? Yeah unfortunately i gotta say i agree like i i think it's a total disservice to the body of work yeah that jack and meg have but yeah if, i mean i say yeah if seven nation army is on this album and it's this low and there hasn't been one before then this is probably the only one yeah yeah and i'm and justin i'm with you i i'm, I'm probably moving this up like listen it i already had it in my digital library i haven't found it on vinyl but um I did just re- I did just buy that uh, greatest hits album that the White Stripes put out, which is a fantastic collection. You bought um, it on vinyl, yeah, nice, yeah, and it's a it's a really good collection. Like to me, it's worth it's worth owning. But if I found Elephant, um, I'd pick up Elephant because fuck yeah, it's me just too. really really yeah. good. And I'm comfortable move, I'm comfortable moving it up to, especially if there's no other White Stripes on the list. Yeah, I mean I don't know how far I'm moving it up because the White Stripes to me, I, listen, I love the White Stripes. I'm into them. But I don't know. I'd put it between three fifty and four hundred. I might even go farther than that. I, like I, I'm comfortable with this around three hundred, actually. Three hundred ish. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. But uh, I, I assume you feel the same, Justin. Uh, you probably do. You have it on vinyl. Yeah, I do actually. Nice. Um, nice. Some of my fondest memories were hanging out in my freshman dorm at Iowa State University and listening to records. In Rainbows, I don't know if that's on here, by Radiohead was a common occurrence. And this record was very common, as well as The Steel, by the White Stripes. Uh, Our good buddy Matt Nelson um, was one of my roommates, and he uh, also was a big White Stripes and Jack White fan. So he listened to a lot of that. Awesome. He is within about a quarter mile of us right now. He lives right up the street from me. (laughs) Hold on. If I say it louder, will he hear me? Yeah, yell it. (laughs) Yell it really loud. Matt! Yeah. Okay, um, we should move on, though. Move on. I think we're all in consensus with that one. Yeah. So, yep. moving on. Number 448 on the list is Otis Redding's Dictionary of Soul from 1966. Otis Redding's last album before his tragic death in a plane crash, Dictionary of Soul, was just what the title promises, a definitive summary of an entire musical world. Try a Little Tenderness was a forgotten Bing Crosby oldie, I didn't realize that. From the 30s until Redding claimed it and turned it into pure Memphis soul. He does the same with Tennessee Waltz and the Beatles' Day Tripper, as well as his own ballads, Fa 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 Fa, in parentheses, <laughs> sad song, and My Lover's Prayer. Can you check the, the fa's there? I think I only heard five. Is it five or six? <laughs> fa 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 Fa. No, there's, fa, fa, there's fa, five, fa. dude. It's just a five Fa. It's a five fa. It's a five fa tune. <laughs> We're not in the okay. six fa realm yet. You know, we got to get a little further into the list. <laughs> That's Alice Coltrane. She's yeah. coming right up. Yeah, had that plane not gone down in Madison, Wisconsin, we would have got to six fa's. Did that really go down Does, in Madison? Yeah, is that where it was at? 
Yeah, I yeah I went down in so Madison for mm. those that haven't been there. I lived there for five years before I moved to New York. Yeah, surrounded by not surrounded by. It's, it, Madison is on an isthmus between two lakes, Mendota and Monona, to the south. And the plane went down. You just made in that like word really up. Cloudy weather in Lake Monona, and only one guy survived, and it was not Otis Redding. Dude, that's wow. a bummer, man. Who they survived? They only have a plaque to commemorate it, and like Freddie Mercury has a freaking bronze statue. And, you know, love Freddie Mercury, but he has a bronze statue on Lake Montreux and he didn't crash a plane into it. <laughs> and, and all Otis wow. Redding has is a plaque. Anyway, sorry. That's all I grievance. got out of that is when I die, I want a fucking bronze statue of myself. <laughs> You're not going to get a plaque. Man. You're better than that. I want a bronze statue. Oh, man. Listen, I love this record. I mean, I really, really love this record. Man. And it's tough not to it's tough to do anything but love Otis Redding in my mind because he has his voice, I don't know, to me it is soul music. It, it's like the epitome of soul music to me and so Yeah. I was all in. Well, can I ask this? Yeah. Otis Redding Sam Cooke. That's like an interesting comparison. Very similar. Mm. But they both sing some of the same songs. And like that's where, for me, like I learned early on, like because I'd heard a Sam Cooke version of a song and an Otis Redding of the same Otis Redding version of the same song, and I always pick the Otis Redding version. Yeah, I just I can't I I don't know. It's something about it's something about the tenor of Otis's voice. Like I would take Otis Redding over Sam Cooke. Yeah, personally. Yeah, I mean. That's kind of how I feel about this record is for me, it's all about Otis's voice. I just yeah. love like the scratchiness. There's like the scratchy rasp to his voice that I really, really, really love. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, this might be kind of an unpopular opinion, but I, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on some of these songs. I mean, they're all pretty good, but none of them are like really stand out to me. For me, it's like there's a couple Otis tunes that are really, really stand out. Like obviously sitting on the dock of the yeah. bay is fucking fantastic. Um, he wrote respect, which mm-hmm. was Aretha Franklin, you know, made more famous, but, uh, but f- like on, on this album, try a little tenderness is good. It's really good. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's some good tunes, but none of them like, like I'm not, not to jump right into it, but I'm not going to add this to my digital library. Cause I'm just not going to listen to these tunes that often. And despite loving Otis's voice. And I really do. And I, and I appreciate his contribution to music profoundly, but I mean, like I said, a little bit lukewarm on some of the tunes. I don't hate, listen, I don't hate that opinion. Yeah. I don't hate that opinion at all. In fact, I didn't add this to my digital library. Yeah. But I've already started hunting for the vinyl. For the vinyl. And that's exactly what I did. And again, because of the collector thing, you know? Well, and for me, it's not even a collector thing. For me, I want to hear, I want to hear these songs on a warmer medium. Yeah, because that's where they're really going to come through. Well, and I um, think that I think that the depth and warmth of vinyl is going to make a voice that I already just want to listen to anyway. I think it's going to make it better. I think it's going to add dimension to it. Agreed. What do you think, Justin? So, I mean, this is all every single one of these songs, not necessarily from this album, maybe a couple. Cause like a lot of these songs are on other albums, other, you know, collections of Otis writing music. All of them are in my digital library already. Mm. Got a couple of Otis Redding records, not necessarily this one, but yeah, this uh, this is a very much a soul music household and yeah. R&B household. So we we love that stuff around these parts. 
<laughs> and uh, so yeah, this one, you know, I already got it in both. I think it belongs on this list. These are classics. I, I found myself having a hard time like giving us a critical listen just because I love all these songs so much and I've heard them so many times that it's just you just want to like, you know, these are foot tappers, these are yeah. sing alongs, like it's hard to like listen to it critically and like analyze yeah. yes. chord progression and the tempo, like anything technical. It's just like, I love this song. And I don't want it to seem like, sorry to interrupt. I don't want it to seem like I dislike, I do like it a lot, but it's just kind of like an amalgamation. Like the whole thing works together, but there's not like necessarily like a standout song for me or one that like really resonates is, is what I'm, is what I'm kind of getting at. But I, I mean, I like it and I 100% think it should be on the list and I'm right there with you. And I would absolutely buy it on vinyl. See, I think, Oh, go ahead. I Justin. Was JB would like the musicianship because like, I mean, there's a lot of great session people on this record, but Definitely. notably, most notably Booker Jones, Booker T Jones and Isaac Hayes are on this record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give me some hot buttered soul up in here. That's right. Yeah. No, I have no complaints about that at all. Um, if anything, I do have one complaint about this record. Which is that Day Tripper? No, actually, I like that one a lot. Um, but uh, <laughs> three of them are the vocals are inexplicably panned fully to the left, and that just drove me fucking crazy. Maybe it was the recording. Maybe because you're giving me a weird look. Maybe you didn't. Uh, I didn't even pick up on that. There, there were three or four tunes where the vocals were panned fully to the left, and. Um, one of the Were instruments was panned headphones? fully to the right. I was listening to the headphones. Um, oh, okay. So, That's why I didn't catch it. so yeah, it drove me fucking crazy. It's almost disorienting. Like it made really? me like feel off balance almost. And like, and I was listening to it. I was listening to it on Kansas. Maybe too. we were on a different recording or something. I mean, I, I was on Spotify. What were you on? Were you on Spotify? Or were you on, were you on Apple Music? I may have been on Apple for this one. We'll have to pull it up and see if you notice it. Um, maybe Are your can, headphones in perfect working order, JB? I assume so. I mean, yeah, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> for me, I, listen, I also want to say that the other, I will admit, and I've admitted multiple times before, I am such a ridiculous sucker for horns. And the horns yes. on this record, they smashed so hard. And I just, like that, it added to, and the compliment that the horns gave to Otis's voice was, it, it was incredibly accretive to me they really did and another standout was the guitar player on this because i thought the guitar player just exhibited such amazing amazing restraint throughout like he absolutely only played what the song was begging for and no more you know and that's hard as a guitar player that's hard for any guitar player say it again justin Steve Cropper. Yeah. And he Steve played, Cropper, he yeah. put on Green Onions as well. So. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is that Booker the T and the MGs? Yes. Booker T and the MGs. Man. He played with Albert King, Rod Stewart, Richie Havens. He played with Ringo Starr. Yeah. His, he played with Leon Russell. He's got. Was that guy in the really Beatles? Long, he was obviously a very respected musician based yeah. on his resume. But just a real song server. Like, he wasn't, like, was not trying to steal any level of the spotlight. He was just doing exactly what he thought was, ne- was needed, what the song was calling for. And that's you're what I really appreciate. You're still my baby. Did you note the guitar work on that song? Let me see on that here. track in particular, because that's um, something. Yeah, that I because made that note was of. the one where on the chorus they like chromatically stepped a half step down. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. And that was I super loved, cool. I loved that chorus. In fact, I, look, 
again, you know, there's some notable covers on this track. There's this, there's that. But if, in my mind, if you're only going to listen to one um, song on this album, you're still my baby's the jam for me. That if you're only going to listen to one, you're just going to listen to one. Do that one. It's hard to say. It's hard not to say. Try a little tenderness for me. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Justin? One song. I was say my, probably my lover's prayer on this one. Ooh. Ooh. Just because I think it, you know, it's I think it's more of a deep cut, and like try yes. a little tenderness is obviously everybody's going to love it. But like I feel like I hear that one enough as it is, just with uh, you know that autoplay feature on Spotify and all that. Yeah. So it's nice, it was nice to hear my lover's prayer, and I think everybody probably knows a handful of Otis songs and be you know get a deeper cut in see how you like it i yeah. agree yeah you're right the piano the piano and the horns on my lover's prayer were yeah so good yeah so good i agreed nice use of simple chord progressions too because mm-hmm. it's just like a one four five yeah i'm keeping and this though i'm keeping it on the list i'm happy like i'm okay with the spot on it like i said i didn't add it to digital i i'm actively looking for the vinyl on this reissue classic whatever like i want to i want to score this it's yeah, good. I'm about the same with you. I mean, obviously it belongs on the list. Like, if you're going to argue that, what the fuck are you talking about? And uh, I would totally buy a vinyl. <laughs> but, like I said, I didn't add it to digital because I'm not going to listen to this one. Not that I'm not going to listen to Otis Redding, but maybe just... And I would add a couple of these songs, but there's other Otis Redding songs I'd rather listen to. Yeah, me too. That's fair. Yeah. Should we move on? Of course, because we've all been eagerly awaiting the chance to talk about number 447, released in 2018. The artist is One Bad Bunny. I'm just joking. It's just Bad Bunny. And the name of the album is X100 Pre. Rolling Stone says, heralded by a subtly symbolic Christmas Eve release. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bad Bunny's 2018 debut, X100 Pre, was the Puerto Rican artist's bid to court listeners new to Latin sounds running through the trap, reggaeton, dembo, synth pop, and even pop punk with help from anglophonic ambassadors like Diplo and Drake. Bad Bunny could be shamelessly crude and totally vulnerable with his slow-burning baritone opening the floor for Latin pop that's not afraid to get uncomfortable. <laughs> Justin, you, did Justin. you did you end up did you end up making it all the way through this record? So I this is where I you know I really learned where the work is done for this podcast. <laughs> 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 you know, you're not gonna love every album. And, you know, being a guest, maybe I phoned it in a little bit and didn't listen to every track. Um, So I'll I'll admit trap music is not a big thing in my life. I don't listen to a ton of it. I like a couple trap albums and I couldn't really tell you what the quality is about the ones I like versus the ones I don't like. And the ones I like are few and far between. But this immediately was not one that I liked at all. And. I, I will say just because you know, I feel like musically and lyrically, I don't have a lot of positives that I can bring to the table. But I do want to say that I always appreciate when these lists include international music to kind of shine a light on that. And I thought this was interesting as well that Despacito, that song that took the world by storm last, not last year, 2019, um, came after this album. And I can't help but wonder if this was kind of the opening of a door to you know, this Puerto Rican influence that kind of, that's what led to Despacito. And so it really was this, this album that showed Puerto Rican music to a broader market in the U S. Despacito was after this. 
Yes, Despacito was after really? this. Yeah. I was going to say, I've got some strong feelings about this record, and it's not what you think. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this was a hard one to get through for me. Um, are you there, Justin? I'm making sure you're with us. Yeah. Okay, he's there. Okay, there he is. Yeah, okay. Timed out for a minute. Um, oh, man, like the very first track I wrote down on this one, do I have to listen to this whole thing? <laughs> Um, and just, you know, I listened to it twice actually. So because I fucking care about our listeners. Okay. So <laughs> I, I listened to three white guys from Des Moines, Iowa dissing. I, I don't, we haven't heard from Mike yet, but I really hope this Mike, doesn't turn to yeah, three maybe white guys he from Des Moines dissing the trap album. Listen, um, yeah. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate this for what it is. Um, and and listen, actually, what I am going to say is that this album is loaded with fucking really cool beats. Like, yeah, there's a ton of dope beats in here. Um, I actually really liked the hook on Otra Noche in Miami. Like, I thought that that track was kind of a banger. Like, and I really liked the hook to it. The hook was fun. Like, I was into it. So that's it. actually um, one thing I do is. I will put little like asterisks next to the songs that were highlights for me. That's, yeah. that's the only one I highlighted was Otra Noche on Miami. Yeah. Um, so the, there's not like, I, I, there's some cool synth work and some cool beats, but really not a whole lot of redeemable qualities about this record for me. Okay. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of in agreement with Justin. It's just, it's just and I don't understand like why it's on why it's on here i don't understand how it made it on here um how it made it on this list i mean like i'm maybe there was like a coding error on the website or something i'm wondering (laughs) i can't joke among those 300 (laughs) industry people that like provided their top 50 that made up this list yeah yeah i mean i um i think about a world like I think about the other world music albums or even the Latin music albums that we've already got on this list. And the one, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Listen, Manu Chow. I I really loved that Manu Chow album. Like I could see that album being on this list and I wanted to keep it on the list because that was was fantastic. The Selena record was really good. That appeared on this list. Yeah. This to me is this is falling into that Daddy Yankee category, though, where... Which is the other reggaeton. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, it's the other reggaeton album on here. And my and my my problem is you just get so much lost in translation. And so when you're talking about any type of hip-hop or hip-hop um, adjacent music, if you don't understand what they're talking about, it's going it's, to... I mean, you're going to lose a ton yeah. Right. And and I'm not I don't understand enough Spanish to be able to understand what he's talking about. So I can't really relate. Um, Me neither. And I actually I, hard. I, I had like a funny thought. I was wondering, like, maybe he's just providing like some of the most profound societal commentary ever put out there and i just can't understand it well (laughs) allow me to shed light then because i was actually going out on to lyrics genius and i was because they have english translations of all these songs on lyrics genius is it that it is not actually (laughs) um if you thought that it was more of rappers talking about fucking bitches normal rapper shit 
and other normal rapper shit, you're a winner because that's what this. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I thought I might like this album more than other trap records because I was like, maybe if I can't understand what he's saying, then I can't maybe it'll... just listen to it and dismiss it based on the nonsense lyrics. bullshit. Yeah. But yeah, I've just I think at that I've heard too much of it before I heard this album. So like I just I heard the beats and the production. And I was just like, yeah, he's obviously talking about, you know, having sex and selling <laughs> drugs or something like. I mean, it's it's classified as a trap album and trap. I believe originates as a it's a drug trade reference. Yeah, I think it is like trap yeah. house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, I I don't know. I thought this like the decade that this came from was maybe a little underrepresented. Like I think, you know, obviously influential records are probably weighted more heavily in here, but like, let's see some of the records that are a result of that influence. Mm-hmm. Right. And just for me, that's why I wasn't happy with this one because there were two other, well, there was a lot of trap albums that came out in 2018, but like culture two by Migos invasion of privacy by Cardi B two trap records that came out in the same year, in my opinion, way better. Like, I mean, hell I liked them and I'm not really a trap guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And so that to me is kind of like, uh, why you why this and not that? But especially maybe the Migos. those two albums by Migos and Cardi B were more accessible. Yeah, and like I know that you know to insiders, like I'm thinking of like, you know, like it's like a person who like says they like the Dead, but they only like a touch of Grey, and you're like, come on. Yeah. But yeah, maybe that's how like trap fans would react and be like, so you only like Cardi B and Migos? Yeah, cool. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah. I bet you're okay with that though. Right. Yeah. Um, I like that though. That like, kinda, I actually really like that take. Yeah. Right. I really like that take because is this Rolling Stone trying to reach and trying to create more um, a more inclusive list? But I don't know if it needs to be. It's the greatest list. It, like, I had a conversation with actually one of my students earlier tonight, who's an, who's an, another listener of the podcast. Shout out to Shane. And we we were talking about Thank like you, like a lot of. Uh, a lot of this stuff, like some of the stuff that's been on the list so far, not a lot, but a couple of them, like this one, seem like maybe they're going for like the inclusive thing and they're just trying to make sure that they're encompassing different kinds of genres and styles and they're doing that maybe at the, maybe sacrificing some level of actually determining what are the greatest albums of all time. And yeah. they're doing some stuff yeah. just for the sake of inclusivity, not for any other reason. And I'm against that. I mean... 99% of the time I'm for inclusivity for the sake of inclusivity, yeah. but not in the case of this list, which is the greatest albums of all time. Like, I don't think we should just add stuff just to be inclusive, you know? Well, um, but like, think about that Paul McCartney album though. So like if, if they made that list in the seventies or like, let's say they made it in the nineties, like now let's say seventies, they wouldn't have included it because at the time it was so poorly received because yeah. it was compared only to Beatles albums. So, like, I think trying to remove that, like, lack of appreciation for recency, I, I don't know. I think there's value in that. Yeah. No, I understand but that. Maybe that, 50 years from now, like, people are going to be like, the masterpiece. Yeah. That was the X masterpiece. <laughs> has never since been replicated by any trap musician. Yeah. Well, so it goes back to what I was saying before, and this is when I pl- had planned to bring this up again, which is, the two reasons for an album for me, and maybe you guys can point another one and I would be like, Oh duh. But for me, the two big reasons for a record to be on this list are either content or influence. Yeah. Is there something else you guys can think of right off the top of your head that, that would 
Okay. Yeah. I would think of maybe capturing a, a moment. Like a, like a like, snapshot in history, but that would go back to, that would tie into influence, right? Maybe, but like, think of like trap music is like, like a phenomenon. I mean, like look at all yeah. the SoundCloud rappers that have like literally came from nowhere and like made music careers. Like yeah. Freddie Gibbs is, you know, to me, like just in one of the utmost rappers of our time, like came, you know, I, I think he would be classified as a trap rapper, but yeah, like, it's a totally a, a current musical phenomenon. And maybe I, I get that, but they chose this as a representative uh, for that phenomenon, because yeah. I think it, like, I bet you could say at this point, 50 years from now, people will talk about trap music from this decade. Yeah, I understand that. But like you said, there's probably better selections. Migos. Yeah. But so for me, like the main reasons would be content or style or sorry, content or influence. Clearly there's not a lot of influence because this came out in 2018. So the argument is it's got to be the content of this quality is that fucking good that it belongs on this list, which to me, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm out. I think we don't need to spend a, like we're all pretty in agreement. Like we, like we we're, we're trying to justify it in some way, but we don't need to spend a whole lot more time shitting on this record. So, I mean, I sincerely hope someone was fired for this. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to go that far. I hope that I hope that there's a large number of people that pay attention to these lists that see this album and think, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, no, I was I was I know you being were. hyperbolic as I, I am prone I to do. But right. uh, um, let's move on. Yeah, let's get let's jump into it because this next one, like, we're gonna. I have a feeling that we're going to we're going to spend a little bit of time and again be respectful. This is me, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coming in at 4:46 is Alice Coltrane's Journey in Satchidananda from 1971, same year as Ram. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Alice Coltrane was a key part of her husband John's fiery late era bands. You can hear her own musical voice in full flower on this LP, named for her spiritual teacher, Swami Sachidananda. Coltrane blended the sprawling modal jams pioneered by her late husband with drones from the Indian Tanpura, Pharaoh Sanders' spiraling soprano sax, and her own rapturous harp. The result is a meditative bliss out like jazz had never seen. Part earthy blues, part ethereal mantra, and a potent influence on sonic seekers from Radiohead to Coltrane's grandnephew, Flying Lotus. Whoa, dude. I didn't realize Coltrane's grandnephew was Flying Lotus. Neither did you? No, mind blown right there. That's pretty crazy. Powerhouse. I have a feeling that we're all going to love this one. I'm not 100% sure, but, uh, Justin, how many many times did you listen to this? I think I've listened to every song on this album at least five or six times. And like maybe side a, um, just those first three, like at least a dozen times. And frankly, I got started on this late. Like I've only been doing this for like a couple days. So like I, I absolutely adore this album. I was so happy to discover this album as a part of, you know, being invited on the podcast. And I'm sure here, just hearing you guys talk about it would have made me listen to it anyway, as it has so many albums before this, but yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. This was just a gift. Seriously. Yeah. 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 I mean, listen, I, I can't, I can't even begin to say enough about how blown away I am at the fact that I never even considered the harp 
I just didn't. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. How often do you think about it? I mean, and like, <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, you don't hear, you don't, you just don't hear the harp. Well, yeah, no one has ever said to you, yeah, I'm a musician, a jazz harpist. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've never heard that. I was actually telling Mike just before this podcast, I'm sure you remember, Justin, that I was in a band with a harpist for a little while. Do you remember that? I do. I have her phone number. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Every now and again, I'll be scrolling through my phone and I'll like, see who's that? Like, oh, yeah. Followed by harpist in parentheses. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious why you, why you ended up with that number. but I, Well, it's a funny story. I don't want to go into too many details, but she was set on setting me up with her daughter. Oh yeah. I remember that. I totally do remember that. We don't need to like name any names as far as telling who who this harpist was, but, um, prominent harpist in the Des Moines area. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't work out. Um, yeah, (laughs) not yet. It didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Highly unlikely to ever pan out at this point. Yeah. This, um, Listen, for those that, for the uninitiated, this album is, it's what you would, I mean, you can't even describe it. It's a jazz record, and it has severe um, Eastern influences, like East Indian influences with the tampura that was mentioned, and that's basically just a kind of drone-ish type instrument. Kind of similar to a sitar. Yeah, similar sound, but... But I, similar, similar to- sitar. Yeah, like similar tonality, but it's like very much like not a melodic instrument. It's a no. drone instrument. It provides a backdrop for other instruments. Is what be, it, is what it does. Yeah, basically. to be on the top. Yeah. And it to me, it sounds like an instrument that should be played with a bow. Is what it really sounds like to me, but it's not. Yeah, he's plucking, right? Yes, yeah, it's just a, continuously, just continuously yeah. plucking to the point that it sounds like it's a bowed instrument. Um, and so you have that. You have the soprano sax from Pharaoh Sanders that is oh, so good. Just, just layering, just magic, just layering magic on top of um, a, an impeccable rhythm section with the bass and the drums and then the harp work from Alice is it's just it's some yeah. it's magic Dude, it's, it's something to be it just transports you yeah. like and that, that's like the the opening track is is the title track is is the journey in Satchidananda and it like it doesn't start with harp it kind of starts with some bass and he kind of lays down a groove and that's another thing i'm going to mention not to get off track from what i was about to say but the bass player in this is just so ridiculous he just yeah. he lays these continuous grooves and they're they're drony but he embellishes on them mm-hmm. they're simple but he makes them m- impactful you know but uh all of a sudden the harp comes in and it just from the second that harp comes in you know you're just transported yeah. sorry what were you going to say justin I feel like i interrupted you I was just really happy you mentioned the bass player yeah. because I think that he does such a service to this record by making it approachable. Mm-hmm. So I think like at the time, um, you know, I, and George Harrison was talked about, he doesn't have an album on the list, but you know, solo Beatles albums and all we were talking about, but he, you know, he brought a lot of that, you know, kind of Indian, that Hindu in- influence yeah. and as did Alice Coltrane. And so at the time, maybe people were more receptive of that. But like listening to it now, I just thought like this album was great to me for many reasons. One of those reasons is that it balanced approachability with the, you know, being an experimental type of jazz. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
and I credit the bass player with the approachability part because he was just laying down these really steady, really hooky bass lines with not too much embellishment, but when he did it, it boy was it special. And like yeah. he deserves so much credit. I think you hit album. the nail on the head with that because like on paper, this album is not accessible at all. No. You know? But somehow it manages to be. And I and I think you're right. I think it's due to the bass player. Like I, he listen, makes it groovy. I'm, yeah, I'm going to extend that to the rhythm section, though. Yeah, yeah, like, the drummer. Because yeah. the drummer, the drum work on this record from top to bottom, and and I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to get too crazy from top to bottom because the last album, or the last track on this album is actually a live recording where the only, um, I believe that the only musicians that are the same are Pharaoh, Sanders, and... The drummer. Is the drummer the same, too? I believe the drummer's the same, but the bass yeah. player is not the same. Yeah, the bass player is different, and instead of using the tampora on the last track, they're using a, an oud. I was about to—that's something I was going to mention—is did you guys pick up on that crazy string instrument in the live yes. tracks? It's—I yeah. I kept like I was trying to figure out what it was without looking it up, and I was like, "Is that a fucking lute?" It sounded like a lute to a me, bit. or like a dulcimer i thought for one second but like a dulcimer doesn't have that many notes available to it you know and like i looked it up and it was it's called an oud which is very similar to a lute yeah um, that's what i was gonna say you were you were spot on with the lute but yeah. the oud is like it's a double it's an eight is i'm trying to remember is it eight I strings or like, is it eight double strings options but it's like a, it's usually an 11 string short necked lute yeah, but okay. just like you said, there's different options. They're not all like a guitar is almost always six strings. Of course, you can buy a seven string guitar, but ninety nine percent of guitars are six strings. I don't think the oud is that way. I think that they're they're like it, a multitude. It comes of in different op options. Yeah, yeah. Um, but regardless, th so the previous four tracks were all recorded in her apartment in Brooklyn. I believe, actually. Shout out, Brooklyn. Yeah. Shout out, Justin. Um, I would love to be able to take totally misplaced credit for that, but it was in <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn, Long Island. So shout out, Long Island. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Long Island, not Brooklyn? Yeah. Not Brooklyn. Um, but then, like you were about, like like you were talking about this first four yeah. were, were recorded at her apartment, but then the fifth one is a live track. Yeah, yeah. it's a live track. and um, And realistically... Those first four tracks, the rhythm section is just phenomenal, and then then you get that soprano from Pharaoh Sanders and her harp work, and it is, it's just, it's transportive. I mean, it's just man, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, so so good. It just really takes you out of the moment. Like if you want to go get lost in a record, put this one on because you're gonna get fucking lost, and you're not gonna think about anything else. And that's that's a good thing. Uh, the, the fifth track, Isis and Osiris, was recorded at a little jazz club in New York. I think it was called The Village Gate. Am I right about that? Is anyone Are you up on that page, Justin? That is correct. That's correct. Um, that was from memory. 100 points to Gryffindor. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm in Gryffindor? Yeah. Anyways, just kidding. All right. Um, Thank you, Ben. I wrote down like what I wouldn't give to have been sitting in this club, like sipping on a cocktail and watching this shit go down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I mean, more realistically, Frank, I don't know. This album to me is more of like a, this is a trippy album, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's really, it's really, really crazy. And if you can focus in on her harp work, it's a combination of 
insanely technical kind of runs and riffs. Yeah. But then if you listen to the second track, Shiva Loka, she does crazy chord work. Yeah. Like the chords that she's the chords that she's creating, it really made me think about the fact that a harp is basically a piano mm -hmm. that the strings are being plucked with fingers as opposed to being struck with a striker. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's I, and I'd never thought about a harp as just a piano that you pluck instead of a piano that you're playing keys on, but that's really what it is. And it's, um, and I like that you brought up the runs that she was doing because at first I, I was trying to come up with how I would describe her playing on the harp in particular, because she also played piano on this record. Yeah. Um, but I was trying to figure out how to describe it. And I, at first I was thinking the word melodic was coming to mind, but then on re upon reflection, it's not really melodic. Because, like, melodic is, is melody-based. She's not really playing melodies. She's playing these insane, fast runs and glissandos, which a glissando, for, th for those who don't know, is where you, like, glide from one note and you have a goal to get to the next and you hit, like, all these notes in between really, really, really fast. <laughs> it's a very it's, – it's not, like, particular to the harp, but it's done a lot on the harp, the glissando. Yeah. But she does a lot of these crazy runs and a lot of these harmonic – things so it's less melodic and more harmonic to me mm -hmm. you know listen i loved it um if you haven't heard this go out it's only about 35 37 minutes long yeah you should listen to the whole thing if you're not going to listen to the whole thing i guess just listen to the title track or the live track or the live track yeah. um yeah. listen i personally for me i would say listen to the title track the first one because i don't think you're going to get to the end of that song and then not want to keep letting yeah, it because you're going to be sold yeah i really do um in fact for me because of the experimental nature of this because of the way that she's pulling all of these crazy sounds from all across the world i um i think this is too low yeah and to me i i don't know where bitches brew is going to land but i want this album to be somewhere in the same area as wherever bitches brew lands because it's doing to me, it's doing the same thing. I guarantee, but actually more accessible than what definitely. Miles did on Bitches Brew. Because Bitches Brew is pretty inaccessible. It's tough. Like you man. have to be like a real music nerd to really get into that. Um, I, bet, yeah. I bet Bitches Brew is top two hundred. What do and you think? That, uh, be, be, just because of how challenging it is, it wouldn't surprise me if it, it was lower. Yeah, if it yeah. was lower, like probably between two and three. But just I feel like everyone seems to know that one somehow, despite the fact that like it's it's challenging. But like that's it's commonly so, mentioned, you know. I mean, it invented like jazz fusion, though. Yeah, and all of the shoots that exactly that you get from jazz fusion. You know? Yeah, you know, progressive rock. Um, you know, modern jazz. That's yeah. a lot of offshoots, huh? But I, I would say that that <laughs> one has a lot too. of influence. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. also the culmination of, like, you know, one of our greatest American musicians. Like, it's a culmination of his artistry and experience, you know, like, converting into this kind of fusion approach. So I think that that would place it very high. Yeah. Well, and listen, Bitches Brew did something with jazz that... Whew. Yeah, you know, top blows off, but that but that's where this fits into me, you know, and that's why I, I like as a con, as a relative contemporary of Bitches Brew as a way of pushing the genre into places that it hadn't gone before. I I wish it were higher, I really do, 
and not just a little bit, like substantially higher for me. I'm comfortable with that too. And uh, I would absolutely buy it on vinyl. I've I told I I was telling JB before the podcast started I I added this to digital because I like I have a lot of jazz in my digital library that I'm more than happy to listen to yeah and I've got I've already ordered the vinyl I was like, about to say that but I want to let you say yeah, it. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you own this on vinyl already Justin I do not you're gonna hunt for it I am sure I will soon yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to try hunting once Brooklyn opens back up again. And if I have no luck, I'll, you know, go to eBay or something. But this is like a must have for me at this point. And yeah. it's already, you know, in the digital collection for sure. And I do want to make sure I mention because I definitely did some reading ahead on the list of on the entire list for genres. Jazz is only mentioned 13 times Ooh. by 11 artists. So wow. 13 albums, 11 artists. Six of those artists are females. Wow. Alice Coltrane is the only female that is not featured as the vocalist. Interesting. So she's the only, you know, band leader instrumentalist. Was Roberta Flack considered in that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. if you look, I was, you know, again, reading ahead, looking at some of the stats on this. And yeah, all the female jazz mentions are all vocalists. Roberta Flack, Etta James. Um, don't, don't give us too many spoilers. spoilers. Yeah, you know. I was gonna say we're we're trying not to cheat too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, but I you know big ups to Alice Coltrane for you know breaking that barrier and being the instrumentalist, the only female instrumentalist in the jazz capacity that's mentioned on this list. Yeah, yeah. give it a spin. You got to do it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Just yeah, you got to do it. We're all in agreement on that one. So. um but yeah, Should this was a fun episode. Yeah. 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 Justin, thank you. Thank yeah, you for thank joining us. Thank you for us. being here, Justin. Um, we are, after this episode, we are going to be, Mike had the the great idea of, after our snub list episode that we did last week, um, Mike had a fantastic idea that we should do some little bonus episodes and highlight some of those albums that are on that snub list. So we're going to specifically go through that list from Reddit that we found. Um, and we'll, at the top of this next snub list maybe we'll read through that list real quick um and we'll, we're going to specifically highlight one album from that list today which is going to be it's actually an ep but it's tools opiate and justin is going to be joining us for that too but we are going to do that as a separate episode yeah yeah, yeah. we're going to take a hard break from this because we like again we're cognizant of the time that you're all giving us with your ears we appreciate your ears and we appreciate you giving us our time but it definitely this, but in the same respect um you might not give a shit about yeah. any of those snubbed albums. And so from that standpoint, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a real quick break. We're going to leave the stream up, um, but we're going to go ahead and cut this. So that way, you know, if you're listening to this on Spotify or on Apple podcasts or off of anchor, you know, if you don't want to listen to us yammer on about any of those snubbed albums, you don't have to. But of course, if you're streaming, you want to stick around and listen to us talk about um, tools first um, album slash it was actually an EP opiate you can do that but as always uh, we do want to go through the homework for next week yes right because next week we got some more homework um, and so with that being said the kicking it out yeah yeah the five albums that we'll go through next week we're going to be doing 445 through 441 so at 445 we're going to be listening to close to the edge by yes 444, we have Fiona Apple's first entry on the list, mm. which is Extraordinary Machine. At 443 is going to be Scary Monsters by David Bowie, the 1980 release. 442 is The Weeknd's Beauty Behind the Madness from 2015. 
I've been bumping that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. One. Yeah. I've been bumping There's some that. good tunes. And then the last one um, that we're going to go through next week. I'm not going to lie. A little bit of a head scratcher from 2007 uh, blackout by yeah. Britney. I don't Spears. even know what's on that one. Yeah, I don't know either. But um, at any rate, as always, thank you all for listening. If you want to interact with us, you can do that by sending us an email to thislistsucks at gmail.com or... Or you can hit us up on social media or send us a voice message or text message via anchor.fm forward slash thislistsucks. Speaking of that, we received several voice messages that we neglected to play on this episode. we fucked up. It's okay. We're going to save it. You know, it's going to be fun to have them to save up. Um, so p- please continue to send us more of those because we will play them all eventually. We promise. Um, we're listen. We're we're committed we, because we told everybody whenever they sent us all those messages that we were absolutely going to play it no matter what they said, as long as yeah. it wasn't anything dealing with QAnon or something <laughs> terrible. And so next, listen, we're committed. Next week at the top of the show, we're going to get to those yeah. voice messages. Good news is we have plenty of episodes left we're just kicking <laughs> off this podcast so yeah absolutely so everybody thanks for listening justin thank you yeah. for checking in from from brooklyn thank you for giving us all of your insight into yes. these records thank you so much for being a part of the episode tonight absolute pleasure and honor on my end thank you so much absolutely and we did get receive some feedbacks from some people that they wanted to hear the theme song again on the outro so here it is for you this list sucks. This list sucks. This list sucks. This list sucks. It sucks. Talk Thanks, to you guys. next week, guys. Bye bye.